Welcome to today's recording of the podcast AMA. Those of you guys who are catching this in the future, my name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and, and we're here live on Zoom with Maddie Stout, Matt Gilhooley, dumbing it down with Dave and uh, Francis. I believe it's Illawong is how I say it. We're chatting here with Maddie, talking about the future of podcasting, what makes podcasting successful. And we do these for a couple of reasons, and I'll be short for those of you guys who have heard this speech before, <laughs> but we come together so that you can learn something, so that you can meet someone cool, and so that you can walk away feeling better. I mean, I think that the podcast industry is so siloed, so we try and do these events every couple of weeks just to kind of show up. And before we hit the recording, Maddie was saying that, that he's real, right? A lot of times we see these pictures on social media or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever it is, and so we want to kind of put some voices to it as well. And so I'll get out of the way here in the minute. Maddie, you mentioned you've been 16 years in the industry, and so I probably won't do it justice in terms of giving you the right kind of recognition. But as far as titles go, he's the president of Jam Street Media. He's also on the board of governors at the Podcast Academy. I believe he was part of Stitcher, also iHeartRadio. And uh, founding team of Stitcher, first four. Look at that. They've got an interesting history now. And Webby winner, also nominated for an Ambi. So I'm sure that only touches the surface of your podcasting experience. But all that to say, thanks, Maddie, for hanging out with us today. No, it's great. And, you know, this is my industry. I feel like we've built it up over 16 years and want nothing but good for it. And I want to keep it with creators being focused on more than like ad tech and everything else, which is, seems to be the focus of everybody's talks. People forget like there's no ads without good content. And that's how it all started with good content that people liked and the industry grew. So 16 years ago, the podcast industry wasn't as sexy as it may be today, right? Or it may not be as trendy as it is today. What got you into that? And then perhaps even more importantly, why did you decide to stick around through, I'd imagine, the ups and downs? <laughs> so I'd been a pretty successful morning show producer in New York City and then in San Francisco. And I'd been doing radio since I was 16 years old. I wanted to do something different. And, you know, everybody was in the startup world in Bay Area. I was in San Francisco. And I met these guys who'd started this company, Stitcher. And I really didn't know what a podcast was. But having come from FM talk radio, working with Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony and a lot of, you know, that's the kind of talk that we did. We knew that was going away. And to me, podcasting was like where we could go. And I saw that as a place that we could be free to talk and have long form conversations have shows that weren't cookie cutter radio shows. I really didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew that the guys that founded it were really smart. You know, Noah Shannock and Mike Afari and Peter DeVrody, they were so brilliant. And I'm like, I'm in a room with all these really smart guys and they think I bring something to the table, so I'm going to learn something. So it was really for me about learning about the startup industry and like getting out of being a producer, an executive producer and just a talker. But when we started Stitcher, we didn't even use the word podcast because it was so negative. We said on-demand audio, on-demand radio. You know, We changed the name a, a billion times because everybody thought I was an idiot for going into podcasting. They're like, why are you leaving a radio career to go do this? And in about four years in, I was going, why did I do that? It wasn't cool. It wasn't sexy. I made money. After I left Stitcher, I worked for Kevin Smith for a bit. And then I started a college program at the Academy of Art University because that was what I could do until finally, you know, I got a call from my heart and it was, hey, we're going to do something digital on the West Coast. Will you take it over? And I was like, can I do podcasts? And they're like, ah, I don't care. Sure. Okay. 
And then we launched our first network in San Francisco with just radio hosts, and it did really well. So the first team at iHeart was Chris Peterson and myself building out content and then getting the company involved, having people understand where the value was in podcasting, why it's the future and where we were going. And that's always kind of been, for me, I still feel like I don't have to fight it as much. But when I tell people what I do for a living, how do you do that? How do you make money doing that? You know, that's a question I get all the time. And it's like, I don't know, but somehow I have for 16 years, you know, made my living doing this. But it's always been a commitment to creating content that's interesting and different and also niche. You know, I used to tell folks, if you want a podcast about beer yeast, I know there is one. I've seen it. We uploaded it. (laughs) You know, when I was at Stitcher, I was the head of content. So I had to upload all the first content and all the first shows. Most of them were about Mac computers because I was only people listening to podcasts. But then you found these shows that were like stuff you should know. That was one of our first shows. And then the NPR shows, and they really changed everything. I knew the change was coming when my students said, I love the podcast, This American Life. I'm like, oh, me too. You know, that's a radio show, right? And they're like, what? That's a radio show? And it's just, I was like, Okay, it's clicked over. And NPR was smart. They knew early that this was going to be good for them. They got into it quick. And they were the first content client we had at Stitcher. I want to go to this monetization thing because I think that you have a really unique just experience (laughs) perspective. Matt, if we don't go there, I want to come back to that. But talk about whenever I have someone who's been in the industry as long as you, I try and ask what's the same and what's different? Because... There's so many new gadgets and whistles and platforms even and stuff that a lot of people think that podcast industry is this new thing, right? It seems new to them. But from your bird's eye view, is there anything that has stayed the same? And is there anything that is distinct and different? Well, I would say we're still battling folks in the media industry who just sign checks to radio and just think that's where the money should go. There's a lot of money on the table there that could be in podcasting. Obviously, tech has driven the industry. When it was easier to listen to podcasts, we got more listeners. When it was easier to do advertising, we got more advertising. When we started being able to do dynamic insertion. And I remember fighting people on that when we started doing that. Everybody's like, oh, that's dumb. We can't do that. I'm like, no, no, no. This is, you're going to get more out of it. And now we're in a place where there's so many choices I was just talking to Anne at Asa, and she was telling me about a show that had 750,000 downloads a month, and they're on Anchor still. And I was like, has nobody shaken them and said, go to Megaphone, you're going to make a ton of money if you just put it on a different platform. I think it's confusing for a lot of folks. And I think one of the changes is when you used to have a podcast that was smaller, you can do sponsorships. You know, that's how you did it. You, you found a sponsor, you plug them and you got it in. We used to do stupid codes, but you know, the codes work because the listeners like our ads. So I see that's still happening. There's still a lot of niche podcasts that do that and they make more money than the folks who have bigger podcasts. And it's getting harder to make money off of advertising if you have a medium-sized podcast. First of all, advertisers don't look at the content in the community, which they should. They look at the numbers. That's backwards thinking because we've always sold community. People like podcast ads because they like the host. They trust the host. It's the same thing going back to radio. We would do live reads and make them part of the show. I talked about mattresses and I had to come up with a different story every day about mattresses, but I made it funny. I made it interesting. And that's what podcast ads should be. The thing that's new that is bad is with programmatic. Now we have companies pumping in just whatever ad they have. 
okay, so we're hearing radio ads and things like that to distract the listeners. Nobody wants to hear a Home Depot ad in the middle of a podcast where they could easily just convert that into a podcast ad. I think that's starting to change. I think people are starting to get that. But even as that's happening, we're all diversifying. We all have social, we all have video now, and nobody's buying all of it at once. And I think that's something that I would like to see happen more is just buy the whole community, sponsor it all. I have a podcast I did for 12 years and we just started on YouTube four months ago and our numbers on YouTube blow away our audio numbers. I had no idea. But you know what? I don't make any money off of that compared to what I would make if that was audio money. So people like YouTube need to start taking RSS feeds. We need to start being able to monetize everything that we do. It's a lot of work. It used to be easier. Do a podcast, upload it, throw in an ad, and that was it. Now I got to do video. I got to do clips. I got to do social. I got to do TikTok. I got to, you know, it's a lot of work and the payoff's not there yet, but it will catch up. The market will finally come around to it, I hope. I'm sorry, that was a really long answer to a short question. That's what happens when you get a guy that's been talking on the radio for 16 or 30 years. Hey, you know, it's okay. I don't know where Hector went. He might have disappeared. But I think your point of what you were talking about on how all there's all these things that we're expected to do, right, as indie podcasters. And this is something that we talk a lot about in the podcast AMA group. No matter who's here, we're always like, okay, well so-and-so told me that I have to do this now. Is there something that like, is there a short list when you talk to people that it's like, okay, focus on these things and then you can start adding X, Y, and Z. Where would you go in that sense? Maybe it's monetization, maybe it's not, maybe it's just general things. One of the biggest things I find as a consultant and coach is everybody thinks their content's great. Focus on the content first. Make sure it's solid. Make sure the audience likes it. Look at your attention rates. Make sure they're high. Get that audience loving it and then find out where they are and go there. What we are learning, though, is that it used to be like, well, I don't want to waste my time on TikTok or YouTube because that's not the same people that would listen to my podcast. But there are people on there who will listen to your podcast if they see a clip they like. And you have to think about that. But you have to think about your resources and your time. People don't value their time enough. I'm terrible with this. I don't value my time high enough. If I'm making more money on audio, then that's where my focus should be. And then thinking about like, okay, what's the next step? Would probably be YouTube clips or something like that. But not every podcast translates. They're not all chat podcasts. You know, in fact, I don't even listen to chat podcasts and don't tell the 400 some shows that I've launched that, (laughs) but I like storytelling and true crime, that kind of stuff. And it's been harder for us to make that transition over. But it's really like, where's your audience? If you know your audience is on Instagram, then you focus on Instagram. That's the thing. And that's where it really comes back to the first thing I do when I start a podcast with someone is who's it for and what question does it answer? And then we started on podcast. Hosts want to start with the name and like all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. You need to know who you're talking to. You build your persona out. And when you have that build out well, all your other answers are done. It's done. Okay. I know Bob is our listener. He's 34. He lives in Glendale and and he has a job in IT. Okay. Well, where does he hang out? Where does he spend his time online? And then that's where we focus our, our promotion, our content. Yeah, I mean, I think that's helpful. I think a lot of people, like you said, they either focus on the name or they're like, I got to get a big person to be on my show that has lots of followers. And then you hear the rules or someone say, well, social media doesn't get you new listeners. We hear all this noise. But I think if we go back to the basics of like, who is this for? What do they need? And find where they are. 
And then if they are on that social, then they might listen, right? Because and build, yeah, build and, the community. I mean, it, right. socials for building community. You're not going to convert a lot of people. That is true. But right. if you want to build a community, you need to you know, start somewhere. People need to find out about the podcast somehow. I think people lose sight of that. Everybody's, when they come to me, it's, I want you to help me with monetization. I want you to help me with promotion. I want you to help me with this. And I'm like, I'm not helping you with any of that until we make sure your content's good. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. Bottom line. And I've had clients say, sorry, our content's great. We're not going to focus on that. It's like, okay. I mean, I think there's also like a frustration that there's not like one right way to do podcasting, right? Like, I mean, I feel like shows are all different. Like if you're looking at in the true crime space, it's going to be a lot different than a chat show or it's going to be a lot different, you know? And so it's, if you know your audience, then it's a lot easier to kind of create that path, whatever that may be. The other thing that I do when I'm working on a new show, I do a lot of pilots. So they're folks that have no experience at all and they're a celebrity in some sense or form in their their world is I give them like solid examples from other podcasts and say, listen, this is what like today we were talking about working with a host and I'm trying to explain to them that they can't just throw out names of things because they're a name dropper. And I'm like, if you listen to Smartless, they say, does my sister in Wisconsin know what that is? No. Okay, then explain it to her. But things like that I use a lot as far as getting people to look at what other people are doing who are successful. It doesn't mean you have to do the same thing. But there's something to be learned there. And, you know, and I think people get in their own little world, especially a lot of podcasters just get in this world of like, hey, our 15 listeners, they love this. And I'm like, yeah, but we could have a thousand listeners if we change that, <laughs> you know, and those 15 will still be there. They're going to be there. The core understands. It's one of the things I tell people about starting a podcast with talking about your day. I don't know who you are yet. I, I don't care about your day. Save that for later. But the understanding that like that community will get built to the point that you can start talking about your day at the beginning of the podcast. But most folks aren't there yet. I want to open it up to the group here, Francis, Dave, or Lysandra. If you guys have questions, please either raise your hand or unmute yourself. Maddie, you may have already answered this and I had a little slight family emergency that I had to go attend to. Is that the order of operations, if you will, that before somebody gets worried about monetization and CPMs and dynamic ads, I mean, do they have their intro scripted? Are they introducing themselves? Like, are there fundamentals before the advanced stuff? Is that kind of what I mean? I mean, the fundamentals are who's your audience, know who your audience is, run it through every piece of content you do. Even if it's something you want to do, but you know, Bob, your listener doesn't like it. Guess what? Just don't do it. You know, making sure that you have a solid intro that people know who you are, what you're talking about and what's going on with the show. But also thinking about show structure. Where are you going to put a midpoint? Even when you're starting, you should be thinking about that because eventually, hopefully you get to a point where you're going to have mid rolls. So like figure out cool ways to go into those and cool ways to tease in and tease out of them. I mean, there's some old school radio stuff in that. You're always moving forward. People get locked onto monetization. And unfortunately, now we have some companies coming into the industry. They're like, we'll get you a thousand downloads for whatever. I work with one Mopod and they do a good job because of the way that they do it. And they actually show you analytics and like, here's where we got the listeners, which is great. But then there's other ones and I'm not going to mention names, but I just did a test with one and we got like 19,000 downloads in a day. And nobody downstreamed and listened. I'm like, that's bullshit. You can't tell me that's real. That's not real. But people see the numbers and they just think about the numbers. And I'm like, but how many people are commenting on your stuff? 
Like I look at that when I look at a show and how healthy it is. I look at the community like, okay, when you post something and you post something on Instagram or wherever you're focused on, if you have 10,000 fake listeners and nobody's commenting on your stuff, that's not an intriguing thing to anybody. No heart, no advertiser. You might be able to pump up numbers enough to get some good programmatic ads or whatever, but nobody's going to see a return on their investment off of that. You feel good, you know, and I think that's a lot of vanity goes into it. I've been there. It's like, hey, our show charted. Yeah, we did a paid promotion though. So I don't get too excited about it. But so many of those bigger shows, people don't understand, they're all pumped up by paid promotion. All of them, all of them. So these celebrity shows, the ones that make it are really good, they stand out. But the other ones die quickly afterwards because iHeart runs out of money. They were like, okay, we're not putting any paid promotion in the show anymore. And then it goes downhill. If your content can't stand up without paid promotion, I don't think you have good content. Dave, Lissandra, Francis, either of you guys want to take the reins up, jump in. and So Dave, you got something? No, just common sense. Hello, Maddie. How are you? Nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. That's pragmatic, common sense. And by the way, that's, you know, sort of part of my show is Maddie. I always mention pragmatism. That's something you hear in a lot of podcasts. But I feel like you just got to do it for me, why I continue doing it. So I'm like 317 or 18 episodes in, I don't know how many, seven years, eight years. I just do it because I enjoy it. People ask me all the time, you know, uh, do you make any money? There was a while that I was making $11 from Spreaker every two or three months. So that was nice, you know, but no, I'm working on the content. I'm working on consistency. I'm working on making sure I enjoy it and it fits into my schedule. I'm having fun. But that whole other massive business part of it. If I'm not mistaken, though, the dream or the ideal is to get to a place where it does become something that's supporting or sustaining or, or, and I know where you're at, full-time job, the whole thing. So, Maddie, for someone in Dave's position, how might you help him to bridge that gap? Or how might you shrink the river, if you will, to cross? How does Dave go from, he's got a pragmatic life, he's got bills and a family and a mortgage and and all the sorts of things, but the dream is to be maybe one day a full-time podcast. How do you help someone navigate that? I mean, when I start working with somebody and I ask them, why are you doing this? And the first thing is like, I'm going to quit my job and make money. I'm like, don't do this. This is not for you. This is not for you. It's just not for you. Because guess what? 90% of the folks don't. If you don't love it and you're not enjoying it, don't do it. And I see it all the time, people forcing it. I have a lot of clients and they all want to start weekly. And I'm like, go buy weekly to start. Take your time, learn your craft, get better at it. Not enough people focus on getting their craft. I mean, this is an art. You know, I spend a lot of fucking time getting good at what I do on air. And to think that somebody who's never done it before can jump on and make a million dollars in a week, that's not realistic. So realistic goal was, first of all, to build a community, do something that you love. And then once you start to see that community getting built, then it's like, well, who wants to talk to this community? You know, I give an example. There's a horse racing network that just sold for $4 million and horse racing network. But they knew exactly what they were doing because everybody who listens was into horse racing. And the only people who would want to advertise are horse racing people. And they're all about like selling shovels for dung. You know, like, I mean, really weird stuff we wouldn't think about, but they know that's the audience and they go and sell that. So that's the thing. It's like really building that audience and community. And then once you know it's solid and it's sustainable and you can pull in that first sponsor. And then unfortunately in the world we live in, 
you've got to figure out a promotional strategy and it's going to involve some paid promotion at some point. It's got to move the needle. I always tell everybody before they do that, what's your retention rate? That's the biggest number for me. I don't care how many downloads you have. So when we launched Donnie Brasco Deep Cover, we weren't getting really great numbers, but our retention rate was 90%. I'm like, okay, so I know I have a good product. People are listening to 90% of this podcast every week. And then we put a little money into paid and it stuck. That stuck because we had a good high retention rate. I see people put money into paid promotion without really understanding that they have a product that people do want to listen to. You know, if your retention rates are lower, then what can I fix? Why are they not listening to the whole thing? Is it too long? What are some of those knobs that someone might turn if they go, well, geez, they're dropping off. They're not listening or when you're talking about the quality of content for someone who may not have as much experience in the on-air personality, what are some of those skills, knobs, levers, things that they might improve to adjust some of those things? I think that one of the things I always look at is, you know, usually if you're losing people early, it's okay, what are we doing at the front? Are we GTFing, which is radio expression, get to fuck? Maybe we need to get to fuck. We need to go from here to the guest. That's something I see a lot. We're like, okay, you spent 10 minutes talking about nothing and then the guest comes on and you've lost everybody in that 10 minutes who didn't care and they just wanted to get to the guest. I mean, they can fast forward and all, but usually people are lazy, you know. The other things are just looking at, is the podcast too long? Try shortening it up a little bit. But usually it's what you're doing in that first 10 minutes and how you're getting into it. And also everybody's so focused on guests and guests and guests. And they, everybody just has these awful guests. Now they go to whatever that is, pod match. And they're just people who are selling stuff and they're not good guests. I'd rather have no guests. And I, this was my thing in New York City. I, mean, I had a big morning show and my host would get so mad at me because they were like, well, 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 we don't have a guest today. I'm like, good, do your thing. People listen for you. People forget that. People that like a podcast don't give a F about the guests. They care about the hosts and how the host interacts with the guests. But people get so focused on the guests and I got to have a good, good guest. And I got to do this and I got to do that. I didn't fall in love with Howard Stern because of his interviewing, which is the best in the world. I fell in love with Howard because I was a 12-year-old kid living outside of D.C. And my mom would listen to him in the morning and I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I, I, I want to do this. Funny little aside story, fast forward to when I'm 25, my first big radio job, I'm G. Gordon Liddy's producer on after Howard Stern at the first FM talk station in DC at WJFK. I called my mom and she just wept because <laughs> it was like, hey, we made it. Francis, you got something you want to chime in? Yeah. Hey, Betty. Good to meet you. Hi, um, no. Francis. Hey, how's it going? I think we have actually a friend in common, Mike Kafari. Mike Kafari, founder of Stitcher. Yeah. He's an awesome dude. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. I'm actually going to see him uh, towards the end of a month, end of this month. By the way, he's why I ended up at Stitcher, because Mike is Persian. No way. One of my assistant producers was Persian, and he's like, hey, this guy, Mike, he started this new thing. And, yeah. uh, and that was my introduction to Stitcher. I mean, it was all Mike Afari. So That's awesome. Mike and Noah, I owe my entire career getting into the industry for that. He was the wonder kid. We always knew Mike was not going to be with us long and go on and do bigger and better things. And he's just kicked ass. And what I, awesome. I'm doing right now, I'm doing what I tell my host not to do, <laughs> talking about somebody nobody knows. But Mike was one of the founders of Stitcher and then went on to be CEO of Grubhub. And now he's a venture capitalist. And anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to let him know that we connected. I got introduced to Hector and I always told him that I would come on to one of his forums. And I'm glad I did because just for disclosure, I'm building my own platform. Just listening to you, I really do think that it's like, 
it is about building community. It's about being authentic. It's really about connecting that engagement. And when you talk about like, hey, you know, don't come into this for money because 90% of people fail. I almost feel like you're giving advice to entrepreneurs and people who are going into the startup. A podcast is a startup. I tell people that all the time. It's a startup. Yeah, you're Yeah. So I'm kind of drawing the parallelism there. The people, the creators and the solopreneurs that we're trying to work with, I think the thing that we're seeing kind of across the board is like, who's your community? Who are you guys trying to connect with? What's unique and special about you? What are your strengths? What is it that draws your community to you because you're the glue? People come for different reasons, man. 50% of people come in because they're like, hey, we want to monetize. The other 25% goes around growth and the other 25% grows around discovery. We're still trying to learn, but some people are trying to come in for like brand and sponsorship deals. Some people are wanting to see if I can monetize affiliate. Some people are just trying to figure out like, hey, when can I monetize? So I know you talk about quality and everything. When you talk about brands or sponsorships, I guess my question is, when you are looking at someone who's a podcaster, is there kind of like a certain number of followers or people they should be able to reach to? Maybe the goal is not to get sponsored, but maybe it's to be able to just kind of like monetize directly versus if you're trying to get sponsored or get some brands behind you, you know, you're probably at a whole different level. So do you have any thoughts around that? I tell people a lot that my job is to tell them that their baby's ugly because when the podcasters come to me, I'm a very direct person about why I was a good EP. You know, I'm very direct with talent. I and mean, I just tell people, I don't think it's there. It's not there. And that's hard because who's the judge of if it's there or not? There's a passion that's got to be there. And then there's got to be an ability to also understand how you connect a brand with what you're doing and integrating that into it naturally. I've done a lot of brand stuff, branded podcasts. You know, we did, I think, 60 of them probably now from Ford to Facebook to Estee Lauder. And most of them were terrible because... It was just so hard to get the marketing teams to understand like, no, 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 we trust us. This isn't good content. We, we need to we need to do something different. A lot of those that I did mention, though, were really good podcasts because they actually let the talent shine. I think there is certain numbers that you should be at. But let me just say this. So if I'm doing a podcast about, I'm just going to pickleball. I hate pickleball. I'm a tennis player. I hate pickleball. Me too. But the numbers are there. It's crazy. Yeah. But if I have a 4,000 people listening who are listening to Pickleball podcast, that's pretty good considering that, you know, how new this thing is because it was built for old people, by the way, all you people that get so aggro about it. It's not a real sport, but <laughs> I've seen I've seen the TikToks about it. But that's when you can go to a brand in that industry or a local court that is focused on getting people in to come play pickleball and say, I've got 4,000 listeners who are local. They're all listening to this pickleball podcast. To me, you can break in the money with that, you know, with just that few listeners, because you've, you've got a very good niche. You've got also an audience that will spend money and then brands that want to get more stuff to them as it's coming out. So that's just a small thing. And also just finding spaces. Like I had a friend that started an oil and gas podcast network in Houston and he rakes in money because everybody in that industry listens to those podcasts. And Got it. guess what? <laughs> There's a lot of money in that industry. 
So it really depends. It's the same thing. Like I tell my students, I have a class where they have to build out a podcast and I make everybody do a deck. Again, treat everything like a startup. Every podcast we do, we do a deck. We do all the market research, all of that stuff before we even think about sending it to Spotify or somebody. If you're going after too broad of an audience, you're not going to get brands. If I'm doing a tennis podcast and I've got 500 listeners, that's not going to be something unless I can see they're local. And again, I think we yeah. don't focus on local enough and then going to local advertisers because the, those are the folks right now who still don't get it. They're still spending money on radio and they don't understand that. No, no, no. Radio station will tell you have a million listeners. So that's total bullshit based on 100 meters where my podcast, I can show you, I have 400 local folks who listen weekly to the entire podcast and they're devoted to pickleball. So come to me. I have a direct audience, a direct line. You have a direct line to the people who you want to talk to. And I think that's something that brands get when it's explained to them. And I've had a lot of brands that have kind of really shifted their thinking about it as I was doing my sales pitch for their podcast. Just having them understand that this is for this audience and you're going to just reach them. Awesome. Can I just follow up with that, guys? I don't want to take too much time. And and follow up with me too, okay? I want to know what you're doing. Okay, for sure. Yeah, so Maddie, thanks for that. You know, to that last point, I think that's interesting because for like the creators and the users that we're trying to get on, I was talking to a friend who had a hot yoga studio and he goes, do you do this like locally? Can you help us as a local business get our stuff out there? Because they're trying to build a subscriber membership base of yoga participants. So I think to your point, that local thing is interesting. I guess the other follow-up I was going to ask as well is like, when you think of goals, not to super quantify everything, but like when you think of a goal, like, hey, to get to this level, but then, you know, to have 4,000 community members is a great sticky number. When you think of a goal, do you reverse engineer things where you're like, hey, maybe these are some of the milestones that you should start to hit to be able to get to whatever that X number is to be at your level so that kind of know what stages they're at? That's another thing that I lay out for folks is you have to have these milestones and you have to have a promotional plan. People launch, people fire and aim later. They don't even think about promotion when they start. You've got to have a promotional plan. This isn't like 12 years ago. If you started a podcast, hey, everybody could find out about it pretty quickly. But now you're fighting waves of other things, other podcasts, all this stuff. So how are you going to promote it? And then set some standards of like, okay, let's do it. Hopefully reach 100 listeners, 200, 300, 400, but make them realistic and figure out how are you going to promote it? Is this worth putting some money into? Is this something that we can find pickleball newsletters? And I hate that I'm using that reference the whole time, but (laughs) but places to promote it. And I think that's the other thing is finding ways to promote your podcast that are different and not what everybody else is doing right now. And I think newsletters, things like that are really good. Word of mouth is everything. Finding somebody who will be a champion for your podcast, who's the top pickleball player, who yells the most and annoys the tennis players the most, who are playing a real sport. (laughs) Having that plan of like, who's going to be, you know, how are we going to find this audience and get to them? Instead of, you know, you just can't throw it out there. You know, it just can't just, I'm going to throw a podcast out there and it's just going to be so good that everybody's going to come listen. I'm sorry. No, it's that <laughs> I'm, I'm in, in working on some pretty major podcasts that we, we thought were going to be pretty big and not have to put any promotion into them. And it's never correct. It's always needs promotion. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. In your experience, have you seen like a, a certain time frame in which 
like indie podcasters, they go for X amount and then like the traction really starts or is it really super dependent on that promotional plan? You know what I'm saying? Like here, if if you Google, (laughs) there are a lot of people say it's like a three year mark or it's like 150 episodes or something along those lines. Do you agree with that or do you have any opinions on that? I I think there's a great thing that I show my students that Ira Glass does about creativity. We start in the creative world. We have our taste levels really high. Mm -hmm. What we make is like here. And most people quit at that point. In podcasting, for some reason, people will be here and just think that they they think they're here, but you're not here yet. Build it. You've got to hone the craft, hone the show, get it right. And it takes episodes. I used to tell people, you're not a real podcaster until you've done 100 episodes. It's not a solid number or anything like that. And I don't really believe that. But if the shows already have talent base, they know what they're doing, you can set shorter standards. But if it's something brand new, mm-hmm. you've got to be realistic about it. And yeah. you got to be patient and you got to do what Dave was saying, which is like, you got to love it. You got to yeah. love it, but you've got to make sure you have the time to do it. And it's not something that is a chore. I do a podcast for Western University and in my head, I make it a chore some weeks, even though the minute we start doing it, you know, I just love mm. doing it. I realized like I need to do this. My wife, when I didn't have a show for a few months, she's like, you need to get a show. You're going batty. You need that in your life. You need your outlet. I mean, I had it since I was 16. And I just see so many people that are treating it too much like a business to start. And yeah, it is. It is a startup and you should have treat it like a business, but you need to have fun. Yeah, you need to have a strong why or there needs to be some kind of driver there. There's a lot of work. I think people don't also realize that putting out a podcast is more than just recording and then posting. Well, unless you're Dave, which... Dave has a special way of doing his podcast where he records his episodes while driving on the interstate to work, and then he just posts them directly. Oh, so. that sound quality must be the worst. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get Dave, any listeners, but that sound quality. That's hilarious. But there's a lot of hours into putting out an episode beyond just recording for a lot of people. So I think your point is right. But also kind of the idea or the where the question came from is kind of related to your pickleball or any kind of sport is like, you're probably not going to be that great the first couple times you do it. And you're going to have to find what works for you and just get better at it over time. Unless you're so, a tennis player, you kill everybody at pickleball the minute you start. But fair. I'm really beating up on the pickleball. People. Yeah, you are. I'm sorry. They're just so loud. Oh, it's I all bet. over TV now, though, Maddie. I'm amazed that I'm, I'm watching TV. I'm just surfing. And I was like, are we really watching Pickleball, professional Pickleball? First, it was ESPN 8, but now it's on CBS on Saturday. I'm like, what? There's a writer's strike. They got to have yeah, it. Yeah. No, yeah. Maybe. But I, you know, but I, hey, guess what? I've I, I played tennis my entire life. It's not as fun. And it, it, it takes a lot of time to get good at it. Pickleball, you can go out and play the first time. So I get it. I, I mm-hmm. Listen, I support you. I support you people. Just don't scream and yell so loud and play music. It's very annoying to people playing tennis. That's the end of my rant. What do you think the state <laughs> of podcasting is right now? Do you feel positive about directions that it's going? Do you feel, are there any concerns that you have? We really needed the shakedown that happened this year. People were, you know, people like myself were just screaming and yelling. You can't spend all this money on securing these celebrity talents to do these shows. You're never going to make the money back. And and then they're like, oh, oh, guess that is true. And then they cut all their budgets. The other thing was like a lot of the staffs were NPR kind of staffs, which are 
12 people to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. So those got scaled down. And again, I don't like to see people lose their jobs or anything, but what it's opened up is for more folks who are doing contract work and independent work, because, you know, we can come in and do the same quality for less money, but we make more money because we're not, we're not on a salary of the company trying to churn out five podcasts. So I think there's going to be a shift with a lot of these bigger companies outsourcing. And that's to me is good. I'm a big okay. proponent of outsourcing talent. So there's lots of people who can work in this industry. That being said, I think that probably towards the end of the year, we'll start seeing a little more money get spent. You know, I sell shows. I have this show about Guns N' Roses that is amazing that everybody wanted five months ago. And then the minute we're ready to go sell it, nobody wanted to buy anything. So right. that's where we're at. It's kind of a freeze on, on the bigger side. You know, there's a freeze right. kind of on that. And that's going to open up. But what I've seen is it's opened up some lanes for some newer, newer shows and newer companies to come in. Smaller companies, independent companies, smaller podcast companies. And that's, to me... I'd rather see our industry be more diverse in the content building world. And, mm -hmm. you know, because when everything's coming through one channel, whoever's the biggest celebrity or the biggest name is going to get the most attention. They make more money off of advertising off of those folks. But I think with the way ad tech's going, with the way companies like Sounder are coming in and doing contextual targeting, which, you know, if you don't know what that is, it's really looking at what the people say. And then the ads find that instead of going by like the category or mm -hmm. if I said, you're a dick, okay, it understands that I'm saying you're a dick and not right. saying my dick. Right. That is really going to help because that means ads will find podcasts better. And that programmatic stuff, when it's done right, you can do well with that. It depends on who you're working with and all of that. So I think that's going to be very helpful for the industry. I mean, I've just seen it on, you know, my side, I use Megaphone and their programmatic ads are, I mean, we make really decent money from them mm -hmm. as compared to other companies we've worked with because they put in bad ads. They put in radio ads. They don't even think about where the ads go. It's just like you hear an ad and you're like, why is that even on my podcast? But with this new targeting and smarter yeah. ads, because the one thing Megaphone was always big on in Spotify was, was let's do ads that are podcast ads and make sure the ads sound like podcast ads. The more the industry gets that down, it's going to be helpful. And this, there's so many new tools now for monetization, but I just tell everybody to be very careful about who they work with. I'm going to plug my new company, Poddle. We're about to launch. And it's going to be the first place where you can actually leave reviews for podcast services. And then also as an indie, you can go find work, gig work. So it's kind of a, a fiver just for podcasts plus Yelp. And one of the reasons we built this is we really wanted to have a third party voice that was podcasters giving feedback on things because right now it's hard to like know who to believe. I've worked with people who are really good salesmen, but they're selling snake oil. And we have so many of those people in this industry who are just here, they're really big talkers and marketers and no substance. They don't care about our industry. I forgot what was the original question. I got, I got Well, the original that. question, just the state of the industry. And I, oh. I think a lot of people that will end up listening to this are more on the like, early stage or, you know, like not even getting to the monetization aspect of it yet. But to your point of there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there, I think the bright, shiny things are distracting for a lot of people. I mean, it goes back to your original yeah. point of like, really focus on who is listening, like who yeah. is your person and, that and you're if, talking to. And if you're going to like, you know, start a podcast and have a coach or something, make sure they've actually worked on a lot of different podcasts and not just their podcast. And that's, mm -hmm. I see that a lot too. Like, oh, I have a podcast. Now I can tell everybody else how to do it. You don't know anything about making podcasts. You know how to make right. your podcast. 
So vetting that kind of stuff out, but also just really knowing that the the small podcasts are making good money. Their highest performing podcasts have under 4,000 listeners because the ads, when they are placed on those podcasts, work. They have the return on investment for the companies and they come back. So that's the key. It's building the community, getting that solid tight, knowing that like, hey, I have 500 listeners that are going to be there every week and then I'm going to keep building on that. And you can't fail that way. You can't fail with that. But also just understanding how to find them. A lot of stuff I do as a consultant is coaching folks on like, well, how do you find these people? And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing. But I think the future is really bright. And I really, you know, one of the things with Pod, why we started making it available for podcast services is that most of us don't make the majority of our money from our podcasts. Mm -hmm. I've never made the majority of my money from my podcast. I made the majority of my money from being good at talking and helping other people do podcasts mm-hmm. and and producing other people's podcasts because I worked on enough. But understanding you're building a skill set too. For me, my goal was to have more people make money from podcasting non-traditionally. A lot of people need editors. A lot of people need to take some stuff off their plate. And if you can provide that service for somebody right. and that helps fund your show, great. Yeah. How do you spell what is the company? Uh, like it's a website P-O- or P O D L E dot co. It's not done at okay. all. We're we still, we're not even in beta yet, <laughs> okay. but it's, it, we are getting there. It's coming soon. It is coming soon, but we're really just dedicated to having not only providing a place for people to find work and people to leave reviews. Eventually, we're going to be giving out funds every month to a podcast based on their pitch deck. Nice. And, you know, I think that's another thing to really understand if you're going to go out to market with your show or try to find things, have a deck have a great sample for people to listen to, know your audience. Again, numbers, things that advertisers look for. But I've seen it. I've seen podcasts. And this, and I've come full circle on this because I used to be the guy that's like, you don't have 20,000 downloads an episode, don't even bother. You're not going to make any money. Yeah. And that is true if you're doing ads. You don't have to do ads. Go for the brand. Go for the sponsorship. Yeah, no, I think it's important. It's so interesting. We had a weird Wednesday night for us here and Hector did have to run off and deal with some family emergencies. So we do appreciate you coming by and sharing this information. I know he's going to put it on his podcast and I want to be respectful of your time because it's close to the seven o'clock. But I think it's really important. The, the thing that I take away for, especially for people that come to the podcast AMA is really knowing your audience. I think a lot of the people that want to start it and it's all what they want to do, which is fine. You can do that. But if you want that longevity and that growth, you have to know who you're talking to. You have to know 100%. that. And that's Otherwise, the first thing you should do. But it could be fun. I mean, but you could run a podcast that's just for you if you want, but it depends what your goals are. If you just want to do that, then great. But if you have these goals of growth and monetization and all these other things, you really need to start there and start with why are you doing this and who are you doing it for? I'm a little sad. There's one non-male on the podcast and I haven't had a question. Lissandra, are you there? No pressure. Yeah, yeah. So I've been listening because I'm uh, decluttering. I'm surrounded by bags of stuff I'm going to donate tomorrow. <laughs> I, I just don't like to hear all male voices for an hour. It, it, it makes me crazy. Uh, <laughs> We're not, we've failed the better yeah. test. Well, this is like the, the smallest meeting I've come to. I've come a yeah. few times. It's an odd Wednesday. But I don't know, maybe I'm the, the odd guest. out, but I'm just, I'm currently freelancing as a podcast producer, but my goal is to get a full-time job because I need a salary with benefits. 
So um, it's been good to listen to you. I'll just say quickly that I think guests do matter because like I currently produce a small podcast for it's a career podcast for women of color. And I've noticed that when we get a guest who's got thousands of connections on LinkedIn and and she helps promote the episode. I mean, of course, we get a lot more downloads than a guest who doesn't. So and that's but that's a good guest. And that's my point is that good guests are great. But just guests to have guests and to fill time is not good. And hopefully you're meaningful guests. Yeah. And hopefully you're yeah. seeing when you have those bigger guests that the the folks stay at the podcast. You know, that's that's the goal always for me is I can have the biggest celebrity on in the world. But if people only listen to that one episode, I'm, I did something wrong. I need to hook them in. So when you have those big guests, make sure you're on your game and uh, and you're giving people a reason to come back. Yeah. I think it ties to the why of the show and knowing your audience too, right? If you get the right guest that attaches to that, everything makes sense together and therefore can retain hopefully longer than that one single episode. So that sounds like that's probably what's happening on that show you produce, I would think. But in any case, we, we appreciate it. Thanks for chiming yeah. in. Thank oh. you for calling her out. We like it. But she is right. Normally there's like 10, thanks. 15 people here. So we appreciate you, Lissandra. And yeah, today decluttering. I'm all just because, right, I'm decluttering. <laughs> hey, you know, we all have to do it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So Maddie, to respect your time, thank you for being here and just chatting it up. And I know Hector will communicate with you what went down and go from there. But thank you for your time. <laughs> thanks, guys. That was just fun. I'll come back when there's more people sometime if you want. Yeah, we well, love maybe that. it's you, just me. It's probably that. No, sometimes it's like the same 10 people. Sometimes it's brand new people. So it's like we never really know. But really, at the end of the day or the beginning of the day, Hector and I wanted to put this together because for me coming, I actually started my podcast in a like I took a college class during the pandemic. I was bored and took an extra degree and I took it. But what was happening is it was kind of like drinking from a fire hose when you Google something like, what should I do next? And it's like this person saying this, this person saying this, this person saying this, none of that's going to work for what I want to do and my why and the direction I want to go with it. So we wanted to create a space where we could all come together, share our ideas, take what works for us, throw away what we don't care about. And so that's kind of why these exist. And we want to just keep holding space every two weeks for people to show up. Glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. We hope you have a good night. And uh, I'll stick around if Dave, if you want to talk or anything, but you guys are all free to go and, and do your thing. But we appreciate you. Thanks again, Maddie. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.